Mississippi Crop Situation Podcast featuring the Crop Doctors. Good morning from the Crop Doctors Podcast Studio in Stoneville. Tom and I have Dr. Damon Darcy and Dr. David Byes with us again. If y'all have listened to us through the summer, we had Damon and David on a few weeks ago, and we talked about heat stress, which is a big interest for Damon, particularly during the summertime. And we just ran out of time, and so we had more content that we wanted to get, so we recorded a second episode. And also, if you didn't listen, we have some extra special guests. Damon and David have their sons with them today, so they're going different directions for different things. So we got a few extra people. So, guys, we're glad y'all are taking time with us, too. And still well, hanging with us for a second episode. Yeah, right? And like yeah. we said on the first one, we don't recall a time where we've had this many bodies in what is really a room that's probably, I don't know, 13 by 12 or 13 by 13. Thank goodness we put that air conditioner in a few years ago or we would we would not be doing a second episode. No, no, no. no. And the first one probably would have been about seven minutes long because yeah. you would have been able to cut the humidity in this room with a knife. Wow. We should have brought that up during the heat stress episode that we would all be experiencing heat stress. Yeah, because interestingly enough, we, and I say we loosely, added the air conditioning to this room because this room's air conditioning is tied to other rooms in the building, and we don't typically air condition this entire building on a regular basis. So this time of the year... It can get brutal (laughs) in here. We have recorded podcasts in mm-hmm. here. Like, nope, oh, we're done. Since you're essentially you're in a fishbowl, <laughs> it's basically a fishbowl. There's yeah. windows on three sides, although one set of windows does face the inside of the building. Yeah, but when the air is not on, it might as well be facing outside. That's exactly right. It's blazing hot. Is that air. a thank you to Dr. Johnson or Dr. Martin? Who did that? I would say we did that. Y'all did that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we did that. And our facilities coordinator, right. obviously, he, he did the operation Got it. with the contractors and stuff. Nice. No, that was our deal survival yeah no doubt so damon just in case some folks didn't listen to the previous episode tell folks who you are then we'll give david a a chance to introduce himself yep so i'm emergency medicine physician and ems physician by about uh, 17 years i now take care of all of our state troopers and medical director for the highway patrol and department of public safety so i take care of all of our guys and girls out there and still do a lot of field medicine meaning i uh, i still do work in the field and take care of our paramedics and our emts and firemen out there and the passion is how do we uh, how we improve rural health care and, and uh, rural emergency response. That's where David and I have linked up, and that's why I think we're here to talk about today. It's been really cool visiting with you, previous episode, and then this one. The area that you work in obviously is super important, but then we don't interact with anybody yeah, no. that, that does the type of work that you do. No, not near enough. So, David, get, tell yeah. folks who you are. So I'm the state health specialist based on main campus in Starkville, do more, take more of a public health role, whereas Damon's clinical and, uh, of course, has a growing interest in, in the, the kind of policy and health care administration side of things. I, I'm much more on that public health side and uh, work with our extension agents all across the state, have done uh, quite a bit of work in the last several years on mental health, farm stress, do a lot in obesity prevention. But my real interest here, if, of course, is in that farm stress side, how we can take care of those that feed the world. We have, uh, go ahead, Tom. No, I was just going to say, I mean, that's something that that's now we've woven through this podcast on several instances. And I think that's something that, that, 
you know, definitely I think we could speak to it a lot more. It's something that we don't do a good job talking about in the jobs we're in and certainly in the farming community. And that's something I think that we have got to address more regularly because it's a growing concern and it's something that I think we should be a bit more open to discussing. And look, I'll just tell you, I pulled the stats last night thinking about what we talked about today, and we're seeing uh, some improvement in in stigma among ag producers and rural populations and talking about farm stress. And I think it's largely to y'all's credit for bringing conversations like this forward. It it takes leaders like y'all being willing to to talk about this and not just push it away because it's uncomfortable to to move the needle and, and the national data that include representatives from Mississippi, are saying we're more willing to talk about this now than we ever have been. Well, and we're going to talk a lot today about preparedness. And I think that the whole mental health thing goes straight into that. Because when we were younger and, and in school, and I don't remember what grade it was, they would talk about like suicide prevention as mm-hmm. just an example. And what are the main signs that you should be focused on. And I don't think that's something that we're aware of mm-hmm. on a daily basis. I, I know I'm not. I mean, it, that might be something you might casually think of, but that's not such an easy thing to really focus on right. because we all have something going on on a regular basis mm-hmm. and it's difficult to pay attention to that. So one of the, David's heard this before, but one of the things we've done in Mississippi, and, and I think speaking in a recent conference with other state law enforcement agencies across the Southeast, our colonels and our commissioner have, have tagged us with how do we dive into this thing called mental health? Here's what we've learned. Number one, much like farmers, our state troopers are a unique breed of people. Um, they were trained in the art of not saying anything to anybody. Pull your pants up with your bootstraps. Don't talk about it. Weakness is to talk about your feelings. And you're going to be fine. Mm -hmm. What we've done in the last two years is we've completely flipped that paradigm. And I thought when we first started this, number one, we're crazy. What what the heck are we doing? Number two, no one's going to listen. And number three, these guys aren't going to talk to anybody. Nothing's been further from the truth. And what we've done is we've gone and said simply, number one, what you guys do every day is not normal. That completely applies to our farming community. What you see in the stressors you have are different and unique than everybody else, and you have to acknowledge that. Number two, each of us comes with baggage, childhood or otherwise, that we bring into our profession. And number three, all of us have these triggers that trigger us in our brains to chemically change. And that's what I'm hammering on with our, with our guys that wear the badge and the blue and the gray is that your, your brains are just different. Chemically, they're different. It's not a weakness. It's a chemical imbalance in your brain. And so oftentimes, the answer has been, they go and say, I'm a little down, I'm a little blue to the county NP or the family doc, and they they write them a script of a drug that is almost always sedating. So now we've got guys and girls driving around doing things on the farm that may be taking a highly sedating drug. I'm looking at the picture behind you of someone spraying the field. And what if that guy was on a sedation medicine, (laughs) right? What if those two mules or horses in front of him took off? He's not going to have the cognitive ability to do it. But what what we're doing is we're not looking at the why. We're trying to stop the action. I'm stressed. Let's take 
a benzodiazepine Xanax. Well, no, let's figure out why you're stressed. My wife always talks about the fact when you go to the doctor, they're addressing what the result of something is. And they're trying to solve that instead of, wait a minute, what is it that you're going through on your daily basis that's causing you to have that? And this is going to get some of your guys to squirm in their trucks or their houses where they're listening to this, but being vulnerable with those that you trust is the greatest medicine that we have found in our state troopers. The greatest medicine. I had a guy last night, 45 minutes, a hardened guy, been doing this job for 25 years, seen everything in the world, 45 minutes of debrief of just everything that was his trigger. That is the best medicine for our farmers, for mm-hmm. our police officers, for our public safety. We've got to do a better job of that. And I think that's the mental health stress that David and his guys are working on is identify, number one, you have a unique stress. And the best people to talk to are those that are living the stress with you. Y'all have your boys here with you today, and you don't want to go home and, man, what, a, what an awful day. I mean, you're, <laughs> you're daddy, mm-hmm. so you're going to be daddy in that environment, right. but you got to do it. It's got to go somewhere. The lid's going to blow off or you're going to outlet somewhere. I know as recently as yesterday, I think, Tom, my quote was, let me unload this. And I just dumped on Tom for a little while about 100%. about something I was, it was trusted. Yeah. A trusted colleague, trusted partner, somebody that's in it with you. Nicely therapeutic for yeah. him to do that. <laughs> he does not do that often. Of the two of us, I probably do that much more often. Yeah, <laughs> we, someone, someone once told me that, you know, there's no greater honor than to hear someone's story. Right mm-hmm. to hear someone's story, there is no greater honor than to receive that. And if you have someone that that you trust um, in a relationship, whether it's a spouse, significant other, or a support person, have that person that you can engage with. Because remember that all these things that happen, those brain chemicals that are in your brain, and we can name them, right? And and we've got drugs that suppress them, but those chemicals affect every other part of your body. And I, I don't know the statistics in, in the farming world, but in my law enforcement world, the average age of retirement in a law enforcement officer in this country is 63. The average age of death of a law enforcement officer in this country is? Probably 64. 63. And they're probably very similar, candidly, in the farming community. But what happens there is the stress then goes away but all those amped up, you live in the survival mode. Like if there's a tiger comes in here now, I'm gonna I'm, to protect Peter Davidson. I'm I'm gonna act on the tiger. My my emotions are going. Well, some people live at that emotions all of the time, right. and I would assume that's a lot of our our ag community is they live at this. What's gonna happen tomorrow? I've got the weather. I've got the banks. I've got you know suppliers. I've got but we all these things that are out right. there, and those are my stressors. Yep. And those affect everything in your body. We talked about kidneys and heat stroke earlier. We got heart, we got brain. We have all these things that it affects. And simply being vulnerable is the best medicine to say, like you just got did yesterday, hey, I got something to get off my chest. Yeah. Right? And uh, I'll come home and tell my kids if I've had a bad day, um, specifically if I've lost a, a patient or a patient, and I'll come home and say, an angel's gained his wings today, which means give me some time. Give me some time. Let me debrief. I call it being a bit dad, but give me some time. And it's only until real recently that we've done that. Before it's just been, I just was a pain in the, you know what, when I got home. Sure. No, I understand that, sympathize with it. Yep. Damon, I want to highlight one of the characteristics, shared characteristics, those things you brought up that are stressors for farmers. They're all out of farmer's control. 100%. So it does, you know, it, it, and I know we all know that around this room, but I think it's just important to acknowledge that, that, 
you know, we are used to pulling ourselves up, this notion at least, that we can pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps, but there aren't any straps to, to pull up when it comes to these things. You know, I had a guy yesterday, I was talking to him, and, and uh, we're trying to, to figure out this professional, non-professional balance of when you talk to a professional, when you talk to a peer. Mm-hmm. And he called and he says, you know, I, he's had this long scenario, and 45 minutes of conversation, is one, one of our troopers, one of our veteran guys, and he says, now, I got something for you. I said, well, tell me. He goes, well, you're not going to like this. I said, well, why? He said, well, you know, you told me to go see someone, and I did, and I hated it. Why? And he said, they didn't give me answers. Mm. They just listened. Well, I realized quickly that I had made a false expectation that someone somewhere in some room on some couch, some shrink was going to give him all the answers to life's stories, and it doesn't happen. But what he then said was, or alluded to, was I got it off my chest. Mm. But he wanted the answers. And those don't come from people that do psychology, psychiatry, or physicians. We don't... We don't give you the answers. Oftentimes we give you some medicine, which plus or minus is the answer. But the answers are going to come from you figuring yourself out yeah. and you talking to your colleague, which is is magical. And I think that's where the extension service and having these groups of guys and girls together that can have this conversation in a real sense of this is what's really bothering me. Can I say, I want to say something, that, and you can cut this if you need to, but – realize we're a secular university and, and I, I don't want to make this any sort of sectarian thing, but it's deeply spiritual to oh, share, sure. to share our story with mm-hmm. somebody else. It's entering into to real communion in a way with another, another soul. And that is special. And that, but that it sounds is, so gooby. It, it sounds, does. I mean, you have but guys now cutting it off or, or sitting back and I, and a lot of my older guys, um, the veteran troopers, they'll call. And this is the first thing they say to me on the text. They'll say, what's up doc? Question mark. Three, four a week, I'll get that text. And I'll respond. I know exactly what it is. They want to talk, but they don't want to talk. Yeah. So it takes me three or four times calling them back for them to answer the phone. Mm. And when they answer it, it's always like, what's going on? Yeah. What's going on? Hey, I'm here to talk. Well, then 30 minutes later, they're talking. But it's that fear of taking that first mm-hmm. step and finding someone that you can say, today sucked. Yeah. Today sucked, and this is why it sucked. And you understand why I sucked. You've been in the Tyvek suit at 6.30 at night, <laughs> spraying corn, right? Sure. I don't understand that. I think you're crazy. But others think that's normal, <laughs> right? So it, True. That's a flashback to an earlier episode. But, but how, do you, how do you have that group of people? And it may be to your two grandfathers that, that farm forever. Maybe that time sitting around the, the stop-and-go coffee shop talking. That may have been their time. Yeah, a lot of that's lost now because these these phones. But that may right. be what is your best counsel. You mentioned troopers, and David, something that you said earlier—the stress that's beyond our control. Right. I th- would guess it's similar with troopers, but farming and even the agriculture industry, thinking about consultants, thinking about the things that we do. It attracts, I think, a certain personality type. Right. And when you do have that stress that's beyond your control, does that affect certain personality types more so than others? Like, I, a, like a type A personality that everything's mapped out and I've got right. a death grip on all these circumstances. And then when the things hit that are outside of my death grip, does that 
impact me more so than it may another person. Absolutely. We're while on one hand we're f- farmers and not we I'm not a, I'm not a producer but uh, or grower but farmers are uh, in a field and work that day to day but you're absolutely right. They're used to calculating how many acres of this they need to grow and what they need to apply and so on and so forth and so yes 100% when when things go south it certainly upsets the apple cart in a different way than it would folks that have got the insurance, if you will, the assurance of the regular paycheck. Because, look, I'll, I'll bring up a concept we probably talked about on another podcast, but that's this notion of the agrarian imperative. And it's it's a sense that farmers, particularly multi-generational farmers, have a deep, deep tie to the land. Deep tie. And, and this psychologist, Michael Roseman, developed this concept, and he he found through his research that that psychologically that connection to the land is almost greater than even the connection to their family because it represents this kind of spiritual tie, if you will, back to multiple generations. The thought, the risk of losing that is deeply unnerving. So majorly problematic when, so, when we start to see things unravel, farmers start to see things unravel, and, and, the, and the risk of that loss of that land, that operation starts to look you in the face. And I think that's, you know, Alan and I rode by Rolling Fork on the way up here. And to be there after the storm, I was a day late. But the number of ATVs, side-by-sides, and tractors that were in that community in the first 24 hours was nothing more than astonishing. And to your point of the people that do this job – all the ones that I know are very similar to the guys that do public safety. They are protectors of the land or of their family mm-hmm. or of the tradition generationally. And they are, I'm going to make this work. I'm a fixer. And in our brains and the way our brains work, that's the hardest group of people to tap into to say, we can help you because they want a quick fix my guys all want a pill to fix it or a meeting to fix it or an answer in the psychologist's office to fix it. Or they want the ability to say, I'm protecting this person, this entity, this process. And I saw that in rolling for, I, I wish those could have seen that first 24 hours and seen what happened up there with the number of farmers and good folks regardless of race or class, we're making it happen. Mm -hmm. The problem with that is those are also the same people that will take the trauma they saw that night, put it in a box in the back of their head, and never talk about it again. And I think that's what society has taught men to do, for sure. And that's what society has taught type A personality guys to do, is to put all that in the box and keep going. And at some point, it's like holding balloons underwater at some point the balloons start coming up and you can't manage them underwater at some point and that's where having someone that can be your outlet your offload your offload uh your spouse offload to say hey listen you know last night uh, my wife won't talk about a whole bunch of things i said listen i was in Louisville all day with the, with the floods I, I don't have the capacity to talk about this tonight i wouldn't have done that four years ago i just would have listened and nodded and not paid a damn bit of attention and nothing would have soaked in. Exactly. Yeah. And I'd ask the next day, what happened? Or what did you say last night? But I it just said, no, listen, I, 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 I'm done. And my kids joke, now I have a word limit. Right? So when I hit my word limit, I'm done. <laughs> I'm done. Yeah. 
But that's been a but write that down. Yeah, pal. a word limit. Yeah. I need that. Knowing our own boundaries and putting those boundaries in place, and that's something I think we're doing a better job of talking about. It's the importance of our own psychological and social boundaries, it's knowing be, yeah. knowing what we what we can take, what our limit is, and saying no. Yeah, and saying no, and understanding how to say. I didn't know how to say no until four or five years ago. Well, I had being, no idea. Being comfortable when that moment is to have that conversation because the thing that just rang in my mind when I was a little kid, I, I knew my great grandparents fairly well which is pretty odd. But my great-grandfather on my mother's side fought in World War I. Oh, wow. wow. And he could sit and tell you events that had occurred, like the sinking of the Titanic, he remembered that. But he would never discuss anything that went on in the war. And he would tell you that that's off limits. Mm -hmm. And you didn't ask, which... When you got older in life, you'd run across the photos when my grandmother moved out of her house, and it was kind of like, boy, we really wish we had known mm -hmm. where this came from because he served in Mexico before he went to the European theater. Yep. Nobody has any idea anything about that photo when he passed. He would not talk about it at all. Here's a common call I get from, from my guys that are, that are on the road. I'll get a call from a 30-year-old guy, and this happens two or three times a week, and say, Doc, I'm having chest pain. Right here, middle of my chest. You those you're on the radio. I wrote my. I said, okay, well, you're you're 35, and you have no risk factors. This this is not your heart. Do you have bad taste in your mouth when you wake up? No. You burped a lot? No. I said, Tell me more about this chest pain. He goes, Doc, every time I get on Highway 35, it starts to hurt. What happened on Highway 35? Yeah, Doc, that was my first uh, pediatric fatality wreck. Oh, so this is not. Reflux. This is not cardiac. This is you have been bottling this up to your great grandfather. You're not want to talk about it. You're spending more energy keeping that quiet in the back of your head than it would be just to talk about it. And that's the piece that I think we miss so much in male-driven or male-operated things and public safety, primarily males, farming. I'm assuming primarily males, and we don't do a very good job of it. Right. We don't. And, and kudos to the extension service and you guys were talking about it because it is so needed in our professions yeah. globally because to your point off air earlier, so many people are, are medicated mm -hmm. and that's okay. I am on some stuff and it's okay, but it, but it's not, it's not the fix. It's right. well, and you said the, the other thing, put your phone down, quit texting people and call somebody have an actual conversation yep. and i think people that are younger than jason and i people that are younger than us the kids in the room my kids don't know how to talk on the phone with somebody they want to text mm -hmm. stop that yeah. that that's not a good way because you lose the actual feeling associated the emotion in that conversation when you're just hammering something out with your thumbs and, and, don't and be afraid to talk to people anymore and i think one about the phones one thing someone told me recently and i this is a the police chief down in down in richland mississippi and and you know someone that's on call a lot um and i live with this thing uh this phone and he said well, why don't you put it across the room plug it in across the room Set it up where the people that need to get in touch with you, middle of the night, will ring through. Put it across the room. I did that about six months ago. It has dramatically changed my disconnection with this. Mm. It's just because it's this need to be needed. We all have it. Right. What if, what if, what if, in y'all's world, what if we have an issue? What if we have a whatever else? Um, but to put it across the room.
it's been dramatic for me to be able just to disconnect. Mm. You know, I don't, if they text me at 10, it's not really important. It goes on, do not serve at nine. I'm not going to answer it unless you call through twice or you, you're one of the people that's, you know, needs to call. And it's been great. So your point, be, be vulnerable, but also be courageous to step aside from that thing. Cause I, this is a lot of the challenges. Hey, and we don't have to take a deep dive on this, but I also, we, we've, talked about the, the obvious issues with men and our bottling things up, but I also want to acknowledge, acknowledge that in agriculture and rural areas, uh, that connection to the land, uh, the, the women are not immune to the stress either. They know, I mean, oftentimes are, are, are managing the books and, and they see the finances. They've got the worries just in a different way. And they may go talk to their lady friends about it, but that stress can creep into the marriage. It can creep 100%. into their, their social connections and, and, and be a problem as well. So I, I want to just acknowledge that. Again, we don't have to no, there, and, and, and since you went deep, I'll go with this thing. The biggest thing we see with uh, marriages and our troopers is love and respect circle. I don't remember who put this out, and I, I'm, this is a bit of a plagiarism, but I, I got to figure out who it was. But uh, men looking for respect, women look for love. And if we, we don't have the respect, we don't have the love. And that circle gets broken. And so many of the marital things we see in our agency is that, that related. There was no respect and there was no love. And that circle breaks. Mm. And if and as men, that's what we want, and women right. and so, uh, generalities, and so we've seen this, and so conversation that twice yesterday, both of them were in that same. There was no respect, there was no love, and there's this circle, and I think that's globally for right. our spouse's support system at home. Guys, we talked at length about the concept of stress and then farm stress, but we're coming up on harvest that's already started by the time that we released this podcast. In our world, harvest is a big deal. I mean, it's a culmination of, honestly, a full year worth of planning, cases multiple years of planning, depending on the situation, and a lot of expectations mm-hmm. to fruits of your labor kind of thing. But, you know, a lot of hard work has gone in leading up to this time of year. So talk about farm stress and then other things to watch out as we move into harvest. Golly, we're going to see tractors on the road. We need to think about how just those of us that aren't in agriculture sharing the road. I think that's important. Your public safety hat, you know, you may have some thoughts on, on that. Yeah, I mean, you know, driving up here um, today, you know, seeing tractors that are going at slower speeds and, you know, the, the, the haze on those Delta roads is hard to see. Man, it's hard to see. They got to be right up on top of them. So if I'm doing speed limit a little bit, a little bit four, I don't see it coming up careful on that again a a uh, high impact rear end collision of a tractor versus a car doesn't end up well for either party tractors are not designed to get hit in the back and they're not designed to take a hit from the back so it's a big big scenario and the biggest thing for us is preparation if we look at this area and in, in the delta and the other farm areas my world in emergency response every evidence we see every big article that comes out everything that we change is based on urban medicine and this idea that I can get to you quickly and this idea that everything's going to be perfect, there's going to be street markers and et cetera. Well, what we do in this area in the farming communities of Mississippi is more akin to wilderness medicine or frontier medicine than in any close resemblance to urban medicine. And what I mean by that is we rarely do we have street signs Rarely do we have 911 address codes. Rarely do the cell phone towers pick up. Right right now, if I'm on the river and I dial 911, I may go to Arkansas. Right, It's the closest tower. Wherever that tower is is where I go to 911. Mm-hmm. So the, 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 the understanding that 
to have some grace with the guys that answered the phone, but also, hey, I'm sending someone to Highway 61 and Bob Creek Road to meet the ambulance and drive them Mm -hmm. in, and they're in a white truck with flashing lights on. That will do more to save a life than anything that we can do in pre-hospital medicine. It's just telling us where you are. GPS coordinates are great. Make sure your local entity understands how to use them and what, how they want them. Uh, great example, a lot of our air medical groups want air uh, minutes to three seconds, and some of ours do um, the other version of them. So how do you coordinate that? But the biggest thing is have a plan of who's going to come, know how to identify where you are, and you have to be prepared to be self-sufficient for a number of minutes to an hour for someone gets there. Well, and you said earlier before we started recording, the one thing to remember is to speak very clearly and concisely. 100%. So you have to figure out how to calm yourself down depending upon what the situation is and take a moment to take a step Mm. back. And then knowing, I mean, you talk about GPS coordinates, you have to wait a little bit for that to kind of come up on your phone depending Mm. upon what you're using to get those. No, you're right. And the other thing is, you're back to multi-generational, Right. You probably know the person that's injured very well. Right. You probably have worked with them for years, and you know their mother, their daddy, their brother, sister, everything about them. You, you're around them more than you're all your own family, especially during this time of the year. To step back and say, I've got to be a emotional here and get someone to help. But the things that you can do that can help us are number one, most of our injuries in, in the farming, if they're not medical, they're involving a bleeding injury. Mm-hmm. Stop the bleeding at all costs. Tourniquets are great. Belts are great. Using your hands, cloths. I can treat infection all day long if I've got a, a live person to treat. Right? Put something in it. Stuff. If you have a hole that's bleeding, put something in it to stop the bleeding because every bit of blood that comes out I'm not going to replace for at least in most parts of the Delta an hour and a half to get to a hospital. Mm. The second thing is know your people. If you've got a guy that has a seizure disorder, know that. Have that written down. Have that listed. It doesn't take much to Google medical history form. Fill it out. All my troopers have their medical history in their front left part of their car. I don't want to know it. That's their private information. But if they get injured, I want to know it. So grab it, you know, come up with a plan with your guys to put that information in a common place. If I arrive as a paramedic or a former paramedic and you have me, all the stuff I need to know, it saves so much time and valuable energy. And the third thing is know the response plan in your area. Know who's going to come. It may be a couple of volunteers with three or four red lights in the front of their car. They have a radio that is your lifeblood. Bring them in. Let them figure out what's going on. Help them out. David and I are going to dream at some point and really double into this and really come up with better plans here. But we can prevent a lot of injuries and a lot of deaths in Mississippi. We can if we get guys that are engaged and thinking outside the box. One of the things that I think we miss greatly here is having the cell phone numbers of our tractor mechanics. Because if I have an entanglement injury, no fireman, no paramedic knows how to disassemble those tractors better than the guys that build them. Mm. have their numbers, know how to call them. You know, y'all do a great job with the veterinarians. They're much better at this than we are. 
they they come to your house. They have the stuff in their truck. They do it. We as humans in human medicine, we rely on a lot of other specialists to get it done. And to have those numbers is vital. And same thing with silos. Tell us what happened. Tell us where they are, how long they've been there, how have you tried to get them out. Silos are a really challenge for us because there are multiple gases, as y'all well know. There's multiple compression injuries, et cetera. So have that stuff available. It really helps us out. I think about training. You know, extension, one of our real sweet spots is training. And Yeah, y'all do it better than anybody. Back to our mental health conversation, I've got a couple training opportunities that I can pitch, but I also think we ought to think about mm-hmm. what are those trainings? Uh, and it doesn't have to be you know, training that ends in a certificate or – but. But just how do we? How can we bring people together? I mean, you talked, mm-hmm. you gave some of those ideas about knowing who you're, who's going to respond, and uh, but training our communities on how to bring those players together so that we know what this would maybe, maybe simulation exercises. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I know we're kind of brainstorming it, here. But. And you talk about the Tyvek suit. You know, when you said that, I want to know what chemical you spray, because if you didn't have a Tyvek suit on. And that happened to leak in the barn where it was done. We may not have that anecdote close. But if I knew that's what you had, I could prepare for it better. Not to scare people, but we've got the largest collection of bad chemicals in the country in this part of the world. And how do we prepare for that? Medically, don't assume we're ready for it because I don't know what you got. And every year we'll have orgophosphonic poisoning where someone's poured the pesticide or herbicide in a Coke bottle and put it under the sink and the kid typically drinks it. Mm-hmm. Well, that exhausts my medicine in the ER in about five minutes. I run out of medicine to treat that condition. And so we've really had to double ourselves down to figure, okay, this is real, but knowing what you have, why are you in a Tyvek suit? Well, if you're in a Tyvek suit, it probably can affect other parts of your body besides your skin. What is it? How do we fix it? And then again, the decontamination thing, you guys do that so much better than we do in medicine because you have the stuff, right? You have the ability to spray them off. If they're wet, get them wetter. If they're dry, dust it off, but get it off them as fast as you can. Dawn soap is the ubiquitous decontamination soap known to man. I'm plugging Dawn soap, but... Blue Dawn soap is what all the guys in the big city hazmat groups use, and it's phenomenal. Have some of it. Douse them down. It's good for getting oil off ducks in the uh, Valdez spill, but it's also great in getting stuff off of us. David and I, together, if, if you have an idea of how we can do things better, please reach out, David or myself. There's a huge opportunity for Mississippi to lead here. And I think with Mississippi State and, and you guys and what you guys do every day – this is this is huge, and you know those that don't listen to Mississippi, we're the worst at almost every mortality statistic there is, but that's also an awesome opportunity for us to learn and to lead because we can make small changes that swing the pendulum a lot further than other places can. Mm-hmm. David, take an opportunity to highlight some of your programs in yeah. the context that we've been talking about. So, so we talked a lot about the importance of, of being vulnerable, being willing to share, and, and we know that that is absolutely essential. One of the ways that we'll be more comfortable doing that, and we've got the evidence behind this, is, is just some basic training. Uh, mental health first aid is one of those trainings that we offer through Extension 
We have another one in the mental health space called the Alliance Training. It's a little, little shorter, but it equips folks with that understanding of how to have that conversation, how to broach that topic. If you recognize that a friend, peer, family member, whomever is, things may seem a little different, a little off. How do you how do you ask that question? How do you how do you break that ice? And then, uh, most importantly, without that training, I think we're we're fearful of. How to, of asking that question because we don't know what if. What if they tell us they're thinking about suicide? What if they tell us they're thinking about hurting themselves? What if they just bottle up and don't respond? These trainings help you know when to reach out for professional help, for professional assistance, let you know what your limit is in having that conversation, when things get to that point that you need to call somebody else in, when you can you know, uh, wind it down and follow up or when things actually are okay. Doesn't make you a clinician. We're not trying to make junior psychologists or counselors. We, we want folks to just be better friends, better neighbors, better peers, better family members, and to be able to handle that vulnerability among those around us a little bit better. So we've got the trainings to offer. I'm happy to help connect folks that are interested in that and in, in really those trainings. Good. So, so reach out. You can get you can get me at david.buys at msstate.edu. My cell phone is 662-769-9830. I'm happy to, talk, happy to talk to anybody about what it would take to bring those to your community. Gentlemen, thank you again. Uh, super, super, super important topics. Obviously, we fall down and don't do such a great job talking about either one of these things because it's obviously important to have a plan first thing. I mean, that's like first step. We all have a plan. Everybody should have a plan. So thank you for yeah. taking the time. Hey, hey, Tom, no self-deprecation here. Y'all are doing it. You're doing it. This is a crop podcast. The fact that y'all are having us on a couple times a year, having these topics featured, you're doing it. Don't undersell, undervalue w- what's happening here today. A- and the fact that we talked about this in February, this will air. You know, we'll have a couple of these related podcasts air again this year. That's incredible. This is important. Well, we appreciate that. And just like you, we're in it to serve the state of Mississippi, yeah. and in our case, our primary clientele is growers, consultants, you know, allies. And we're kind of passionate about ag to a fault sometimes, I think, but that's obviously needs to encapsulate a lot more of this because that's important for our listeners to get that information. Yeah. Thank you all so much. Thanks, guys. Appreciate Thank it. Thank you. The Mississippi Crop Situation Podcast is a production of Mississippi State University Extension.